You're listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is Season 2, Episode 16, and our theme is the bioeconomy, supporting innovation in unlikely places. Today, we welcome back our guest, Beth Mason, President and CEO of the Vashurin Center. Beth was appointed CEO of the Vashurin Center in 2017. Her forward-thinking mindset helps connect large industry and community partners to develop and demonstrate innovative, clean solutions. She is committed to enabling client success by ensuring core business activities and growth plans align with client needs. Beth has also held positions with Saputo as the manager dairy derivatives and as an industrial research fellow at Cape Breton University. All right, Beth, thanks so much for joining us once again on the Onside podcast. For folks who didn't get a chance to hear a little bit about you last time, can you share a little bit of your background and story? Who is Beth and how did you end up at the Vashurin Center? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, number one, that's a mystery. Uh, Number two, you know, I have a varied background uh, from being an entrepreneur myself, working with large multinationals, working with government so I guess been there, done that, and now CEO of the Vishuran Center, which, you know, our tiny mission is to change the world. Oh, just just small mission, you know, minor, yeah. minor, minor things, minor things. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So the Vishuran Center, which is located up in Cape Breton, has a, you know, is really interesting and is focused on supporting some solutions around a low carbon and circular economy. And I feel like most people should kind of get that. But but why is that important? Like, why is that your mission? Uh, if we don't, uh, I think we know full well where we're going in terms of our climate. So, I mean, I don't think there's much question anymore. We're in a climate crisis and we have to move fast to fix it. So one of those pieces is... It, as humans, we're very, very wasteful. We're wasteful in energy. We're wasteful in food, you know, all of which have become quite heightened to people right now in the fact that inflation has caused those things to become very expensive. And maybe that helps people realize the true value of them. We've never paid enough for our energy. We've never paid Mm -hmm. enough for our food. And that's horrible to say when we have, you know, food insecurity in our country. But I think... When you look at the waste in the system, circularity is important because what it does is it recovers uh, what we've already paid to produce and are not fully utilizing. And if we do that, I mean, if you take food production by way of an example, you know, and the fact that the population is going to increase to X million by 2050, there is only a limited land resource that's available for food production in the world. So if we waste 50%, and instead, we recover that through circular means of upcycling into high value molecules and, and enhancing agriculture itself. Then on a limited land mass, we could feed twice as many people. Mm. And when you think about it in those simplistic terms, it's actually quite shocking. That's one of the very reasons that we exist is to basically add those efficiencies to yeah. our economy. Yeah, it's interesting. I think about my children. Sometimes I get, uh, you know, I'm all about composting. I love composting. Um, but sometimes I see, you know, the banana or the fruit or, you know, things go in the in the compost and, you know, love love compost. But I, I actually get really upset because I, I and I tried to tell them, I was like, do you know how much energy 
it took to grow that tomato or banana, how much energy it took to drive it across or ship it here to refrigerate it or keep it cool so that it could, you know, be the right color so that the consumer would get it. And then, you know, maybe someone didn't buy it and then it didn't get picked up from the um, the 50 percent bin, you know, that they have at the store. And and hopefully, you know, someone, you know, like Outcast Foods or somebody picks it up and tries to recycle it into a useful protein source. But if it doesn't, it just is completely wasted. And I don't think we think about what that uh, actual cost is to produce that banana or tomato or, or any of those kinds of things. So it's a, it's a real problem. It's a real problem that needs a lot of focus. Well, well, I know at the at the Vashuran Center, you know, you've done quite a lot of work over the last number of years to build some capacity around, you know, marine extraction, fermentation technology, a lot of the labs and things that you've put there. Has that been difficult to do in a place like Cape Breton or is it uh, has it not been that difficult? It's funny. I never thought about what we do as an economic stimulus. Hmm. To me, we do it because it needs doing. We happen to do it in Cape Breton, but in actual fact, it's advantageous to do it in a more rural area because we have space that's more affordable and we have resources So is it difficult to do in Cape Breton? Cape Breton has its own challenges. And, you know, when I first came here, it very much reminded me of Wales and the north of England in that post-industrial era where there was a sort of deadlock, where Hmm. nobody could see the way to the future with the closure of that era of industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. So it, it takes a little bit to move that bar. I guess I decided the way to do that is to say, there's where we need to be. Mm-hmm. We're going to go there right now. And we'll worry about how we got there afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very much the mindset we have to take within rural communities in that there's very much always been a focus and a safety in primary commodity production because it does serve a local economic development. The beauty of a lot of clean technologies is they're mod- modularized. So we can drop those into communities where those primary resources are. And now you've actually upcycled the value of it, added jobs. Mm-hmm. So it was never really as obvious initially as it is now to me that moving and transitioning our, our economy into the new economy is actually an economic stimulus. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, there's always been an argument that, well, if we go to renewables and it's going to cost more, et cetera, et cetera, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, what it does is it, it reinvigorates the local economy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And we touched on this just a moment ago, but I, I'm interested in this idea about the connection to local community. And I have seen, you know, whether it's um, for uh, different biofuels and things like that, where you can have little module units and be close to your source of feedstock and, you know, things like that. And then we were just talking about kind of uh, food security and, and uh, growing global population. But what are some opportunities for kind of some of the traditional industries that are, you know, around either Cape Breton or Nova Scotia or I guess I would say Atlantic Canada? What are some things that they could be thinking about as they think about, oh, okay, maybe there's a local opportunity that I could connect my my fish processing industry to or uh, something like that? Or, you know, I've got a whole bunch of ag waste products that are just kind of sitting there. Like, what is the opportunity for some of those kind of traditional industries to connect to this opportunity? 
Well, I, I think you, you know, identified that there's a primary resource. So, you know, let's say fish production, maybe 50% of a fish that's produced or caught goes into the food chain. The rest of it has incurred a cost, whether that was a cost of production or a cost of nutrients, and it's not fully utilized. Mm. So, you know, coming from the dairy industry, our a large dairy company, the, the mission was always, we make cheese, we don't do anything else. And that's absolutely true. You should stick with your primary production that you're good at, but you should partner with someone who could add that value. Mm. That's what I would say. Because you have, in what's considered waste or a coal product, you actually have the basis of what can be a high value addition Mm -hmm. to that local economy. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't mean that that same person should own the entire production chain the beauty of clean tech is it fits right in the middle mm-hmm. between that primary production and the manufacturer mm-hmm. who could be the recipient of that higher value molecule. Mm-hmm. Um, and it generates a whole other sector of resource use, of employment, of technical skills and materials to feed manufacturing. So, mm-hmm. you know, gone, I think, are the days where one large company needs to do everything I think we've got to learn to work together and, and create those pipelines to success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that we've been uh, in our work at Onsite talking about quite a lot is this idea around, especially helping with rural communities, creating value-added production and opportunity and things like that. So not getting rid of, you know, I, I love to eat apples. We need to have apples. <laughs> you know, not not dissuading folks from doing that. But what are those other things that could be added to create that that value pipeline? And you're right. You don't have to do all of the things. You just probably need to find kind of what the right opportunities, what's your comparative advantage in, in your area, and finding the right partners that can help you kind of get to that. And then also, you know, on the other side, uh, you know, perhaps on uh, – reaching, you know, markets that need those sort of products. The Vishurin Center has been been really um, kind of at the center in the last little while around helping companies to kind of grow and scale. And, and you've been lucky enough to receive some investment from the province and from other places to help companies do that. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's for and how does that connect to what's happening at the Vishurin Center? Yeah, I think our provincial partners recognized the economic potential of of what the services the VC provides are. And I, you know, some of that by way of example is like the first 11 companies through here hired 51 people Mm. in the first year and raised probably like 16 million investments. Well, there are not many other things that you can drop in in a year's time that will generate that in what is in effect in Cape Breton, a largely rural area. And so the, the funds that it, it was ECDEV that, that provided those are to expand what we do, is mm-hmm. to help us expand so that we can do twice as much as we do right now, but we can also go that last step, which we call 10X. Mm-hmm. Um, that was to support the expansion into the 10,000 litre biomanufacturing line, which is, is really going to be a one of a kind in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to see that investment in something of that uh, magnitude for Canada, I think, is really encouraging. Mm. And what kind of companies do you think will be able to take advantage of, obviously, the ones that are at the Vershurin Center, but are there other companies kind of across Canada or globally that would be interested in what you're trying to do? 
Yeah, I mean, if you want the next closest thing to what we do, it would be BioBase Europe, which is in Belgium. So you have a long way to travel to get the same kind of capacity. So all things SynBio, all things biomanufacturing are, are companies that would be interested in what we do. The other piece of what we'll have is is really the equivalent of a of any kind of food and beverage manufacturing facility. We just happen instead of you know brewing beer from yeast, we we brew all kinds of value molecules from other mm-hmm. species. So when you think about what it is, it's an industrial facility. We also intend to add to that you know thermal energy aspects where we green that last piece of the cost of production of sustainable materials. Mm. And so there'll be other, you know, thermal energy technology providers that will come and co-locate at that facility. So we hit the entire value chain Uh of of sustainable molecule production. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So that is, and and that's something that you've been working towards uh, at the Vashurn Center, kind of that extra, I I hear what you're saying about, you know, making sure that the product that you're producing, but also the way in which it's produced or the energy that's used in the production of, through the process that, so that'll be, it'll be a a full, I don't want to say full cycle, but uh, sustainable all the way around is kind of the concept. It is. Yeah. And it'll be a model you know, for all kind of food mm-hmm. and beverage manufacturing and other industries that are high temperature based. So mm-hmm. when it comes to decarbonizing, which you mentioned at, at the beginning, you can't electrify everything. So high temperature thermal is is the hardest one. And that's the basis of a lot of manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So we'll serve as a model for how to do that, how to green that aspect of production mm-hmm. and manufacturing. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, there's there's such a huge uh, movement right now, whether it's like people who are, you know, having all the B Corps or, you know, purpose led companies or the demand from consumers about, you know, how is this product, all those kinds of things. So that's a really interesting uh, push from a product uh, development sort of standpoint, consumer standpoint, and just environmental impact uh, standpoint as as well. So that's fantastic. I, I can't wait to see that sort of move into maybe there'll be a stamp, you know, on the back of a bag or something of, of product will say like, you know, Vershur and Center certified or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that would be great. Have there been some, you know, we, you talked a little bit about investment from the province and things like that. Have there been other partnerships that have been, you know, kind of useful, you know, whether it's with the Cape Breton University or community partnerships that have been uh, sort of very meaningful or useful kind of in the last little while as you're, you know, moving in the direction that you are? Yeah, that's key to what we do is partnering. You know, we've had some great connectivity with InnovaCorp through our Ascend Bio program. Uh, Paul Richards has been instrumental in that. We've got some excellent connectivity between ourselves and our manufacturing sector through NSBI. Mm-hmm. Um, Rhonda McDougall helps us in that regard. So we kind of have a core team, um, including the Innovation Hub and Rod, mm-hmm. that kind of, I think, actually has been instrumental in connecting all of those entities because I think like all of these things, people tend to operate in their own zone. And my complaint when I first came was, look, I need you all to work together. I need you all to help. (laughs) And so locally, that's been a really big support. Nationally, we've had great support from NGEN, the super cluster. But we've also, you know, developed a whole load of, of relationships with accelerators across the country. So, you know, you can't just build something and people will arrive. We need to have those connections with accelerators at 
University of Montreal or whether it's Green Center Canada or UBC, all of those places where those companies would actually get to that cliff edge and fall off mm -hmm. if, if we didn't have this continuum that we're building. So yeah, like connecting across Canada has been probably the most important thing for that pipeline. Yeah. And, and it's so great to hear about all these resources. And you're you're absolutely right. I feel like in Nova Scotia, you've mentioned a lot of great partners that I know. And I think that uh, they've been pushing ahead and moving the needle for some time. And so it's it's really great to see this, uh, you know, bearing fruit. Hate to, you know, use a pun or whatever, but bearing fruit in what we're trying to do here. Yeah. So that's so great. Um, we're, we're getting kind of close to the our close with our time, but I had kind of two questions I did want to kind of throw out at you. One is um, just some, I don't know why I wanted to ask you this, but do you have an, a favorite kind of alternative protein or product? Like, is there something that you're like, oh, I just love this. This is so cool. You mean, and I guess I can't say pork. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Is it grown well, in a lab? I don't know. <laughs> I guess. I, I can, I'm not quite at the point of, of you know, cellular um, meat yet. Um, <laughs> but it, it's funny, and I, and I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but insect proteins mm. intrigue me. Um, I'm, I'm not one of those people who loves insects, far be it. But just to be able to produce proteins that way at scale where we know a huge part of the population in certain countries exists on on insect protein so i have a kind of soft spot having grown mm -hmm. some soldier fly larvae back in the day um actually on banana peel from your current <laughs> point as well as many other substrates and it's probably one of the underutilized other little engines uh, of our of our um economy that, mm -hmm. that will obviously play a role Going forward, yeah. Well, we had Greg uh, Wanger from Oberlin was one of our uh, previous podcast guests, and I've had the chance to go to his uh, Black Soldier Fly facility a, a couple of times, and uh, I did not get grossed out or, or anything like that. And you know, he just uh, you know, it's got to got it gets turned into powder, and you know, you know, you don't need to see the little larvae, you know, moving around. But yeah. definitely, I'm I'm definitely in cricket protein. All that I think is uh, really really interesting, and there's a lot of potential. Uh, what's the company Yinsec? They got a huge you know amount of uh, investment. So I think that's definitely really an interesting uh, alternative protein. And then now for my my uh, my last question, which I love to, of course, always ask our guests, which is uh, around entrepreneurship. Do you think it's nurture or nature? What, what are your thoughts about that? It's interesting you ask that. I used to have <laughs> this conversation with my father all the time when he was around is, you know, are we the product of nature or nurture? And it's always a mix. Um, mm. I used to fall very heavily on the side of nature and he was the opposite side of the spectrum. I think the two fall in line. Naturally, there is a an inherent ability to be a, an entrepreneur. Mm. Um, but if you don't nurture that with the right supportive environment, it'll go nowhere. Mm. So like everything in life, uh, we are given a set of skills when we're born it's what we do with them and how mm. we're helped to get on that journey that's going to make it work. Mm. That's interesting. I just had this image in my mind, you know, if you were Mozart, who was a genius, but you never saw a piano, or even if you saw a piano, but no one, you know, gave you some instruction or helped you to get to the piano, you'd never become a great, great composer. So, yeah, that's a really interesting kind of thought around that. 
Well, Beth, I've, I've really appreciated having you here on the on the Onside podcast. Um, if folks want to hear more about your work or learn more about the the bioeconomy, how can they how can they do that? Oh, the website, brochureandcenter.ca. Uh, <laughs> that's that has all the answers now because we actually updated it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it used to be. So. Okay. Okay. That's the source of all information. So that's yeah. uh, fantastic. And uh, I encourage people to check it out. I saw some great videos and, and things like that, little, of, uh, little, little mini tours. And uh, if folks want to learn more about Onside or our Inclusive Innovation Monitor, uh, feel free to uh, check out our website as well, which is onsidenow.ca. And of course, we encourage you to like, subscribe, give comments, all those great things uh, on our podcast. And as we come to a close, I'd really like to thank Communities, Culture, and Heritage for your support. We're so grateful for your support and helping us make this podcast. And again, Beth, uh, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Thank you. This has been a Podstarter production. production.